If you enjoy this podcast, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and visit our website at lifebetweenthevines.com. While we're all in the process of getting our winery permits, customers and the public can look out for these designations and know that when they're buying wine from these producers, they're buying wine from folks who are trying to get their micro wineries up and running and who meet a, a very rigorous set of criteria to define them as micro producers in Napa Valley. Discovering and tasting wine shouldn't be a homework assignment. And we believe that the people who are closest to wine have the best stories. So open a bottle. And welcome to podcast number 582. This week we feature Ken and Elise Nurlove, owners of Elkhorn Peak Cellars, Napa Valley. Ken Nurlove and his daughter Elise are owners of Elkhorn Peak Cellars in Napa Valley. And in 2023, they've made the leap to add Cabernet Sauvignon to their portfolio. This is really a big deal. Ken has been growing Pinot Noir and Chardonnay since the 1980s, and Cab presents its own special challenges. This family partnership between father and daughter is what Napa Valley wines were built on. Elkhorn Peak is a very special place, and watching this family grow is really something to see. You can also hear Elise on our Vino Lingo segment defining the term microwinery. It's great from time to time when I'm able to follow up, come back to wineries and talk to folks I've been able to uh, see over the years as well as uh, become friends with, I dare I say. I am here at Elkhorn Peak and we are in the south end of Napa. I am here with Ken Nerlove as well as Elise Nerlove and they are owners and uh, people who wear many hats. How are you both doing today? Really good, Ray. Yeah, it's always good to see you, Ray. Good to be here. Good to be back in Napa. And thank you for all the beautiful weather in the middle of late November. Absolutely. We're right. enjoying it. Yeah. Yes. Let's get some rain, though. Yeah, is that it where you're at right now? We would, we would, it'd be nice to see some little bit of rain. It was in the forecast, but they changed yeah, that. Yeah, the forecast has been running in front of us. We're not getting anything. Yeah, kind of crazy. You know, from what you got earlier this year and the end of last year, I mean, is some of that holding out for you? I don't know if you have a reservoir or, you know. We haven't got any rain this year to speak of, but, um, you know, we're hopeful. They, they're they predicting a pretty wet winter, so we haven't even started yet. We'll be fine. Good. Hope so. Uh, well, and I, I was kind of referring back to January, February, where it seemed to do nothing but rain oh, when I yeah. was here. I and mean, that was a bit of a shocker for me when I come here. I don't see a lot of rain. And we had more rain last year than we've had in uh, a very, very long period of time. We had standing water in the fields in June, which is unheard of. It's never happened before. It was an interesting year. Yeah, I saw some of your video with your little uh, canals you were forming <laughs> just to kind of get relief going on there. Yeah. yeah. You know, you don't get that all the time, so you have to adapt. That's it in farming. You have to adapt. And the rain that we did get um, for California was just what it needed. It was it was a miracle rain. It was just what the doctor ordered. Absolutely no question about it. And it was a nice lesson in water diversion yeah. for yeah. me. <laughs> Something new. You're kind of like a kid playing in the mud out there. There you go. <laughs> Literally looked like that, except for that mud was moving pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just briefly before we go into the very subject I came here to talk about, uh, again, Ken, when you started up this uh, winery and vineyard, you started the vineyard first. What year was that again? 1983. 
And then eventually you moved into the area of bottling your own wine. Well, we started making wine commercially in 1992. So we've been at it, what's that, 20 some years? I think that's 30. 30. I think you're right. <laughs> okay, 30 years. You can take your shoes off to count. It's okay. <laughs> I won't have any problem with that. Yeah, well, it's, I think too, being a farmer every year is what's at hand. It's living in the moment. So yeah. you got to just pay attention to what's going on under your feet, not yeah. worry about as much as what happened, other than keeping records. I look at each year as a, as a challenge. And if you go through life facing challenges, it always keeps it interesting. Yeah. And every year in farming, it's interesting. <laughs> interesting is an interesting word. Well, there you go. <laughs> in quotes. <laughs> Optimistic, right? Yeah. So primarily, you've been known for in the past, your Pinot Noir. That's how I met you. 200,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, after a few interviews over the years, I've been introduced to your pet gnat, which I love. You've done a great job in that, and that was your idea, Elise. Yep, I brought the pet gnat. Yeah, and we're going to come back to that in a few minutes, but our viewers can see in the middle of the shot is the classic Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. That's right. We're jumping into the Napa Cab game. That's great. Yeah. So when did you plant these vines? Uh, so we had a 10-acre parcel that we grew Pinot on for 20 years. And in 2018, we pulled the Pinot out and replanted to Cabernet. So we, it, we put uh, four acres of Cabernet in 18 and four acres in 19. So this year, 23 was our third harvest. It's going to sound like a tremendously dumb question, but with this, was this just a matter of economics? Was this something you wanted to try? How do you make a decision like that, especially when Pinot's been your baby? Money. Right. <laughs> I thought we should stick with Pinot Noir when we were replanting that vineyard. But my dad looked hard at the economics, at the, the per ton price that you can sell grapes. There's a huge difference in selling a ton of Napa Valley Pinot Noir and a ton of Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. Same planting costs. The, the plants themselves cost about the same as well. So and the farming costs are the same, but the return is, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. That's that's the Napa Valley cab game. Sure. But but not only in all seriousness aside, uh, it wasn't just for the money. It's in recent years there's been a lot of Cabernet planted in the south end of the valley, and predominantly this is a cooler region, so most of the cab was dedicated to up valley where it's warmer. But with the advent of the cooler region clones and the different styles of Cabernet, it became apparent that this area could produce good Cabernet. So we wanted to try our hand at it, uh, so we did. And um, it's been a very interesting voyage. And uh, so far, the fruit that's coming off that vineyard, um, we're pretty darn happy with, really happy with. So 21 was your very first vintage. Yes. And I'm guessing that's what's in the bottle behind you. Yes, our inaugural vintage of 2021 Cabernet Sauvignon is set to release in December. We're very excited. Um, we got about four tons of fruit in that first harvest, so very small amount. Um, very humbling experience growing yeah. Cabernet. Um, it, you know, a little bit of growing pains in the vineyard. Growing Cabernet is just very different than growing Pinot Noir. You get a lot more fruit. The fruit behaves differently. The vines behave differently. Um, so it was cool. We learned a lot and then, you know, brought this beautiful fruit to the winery and fermentations went very well. And then 22 months in French oak, and we started tasting it with our consulting winemaker, Kent Rasmussen, 
and he said, this is a beautiful wine. This is very reminiscent of the style of Cabernet Napa Valley was putting out in the 70s mm. uh, with, you know, the the guys that really put Napa Valley on the map, you know, Heights, Freemark Abbey, Turnbull Cellars. They were making a very fruit forward, lighter alcohol, lighter style Cabernet back then. And Kent said that our Cabernet is very reminiscent of those. So that's really exciting for us to have that, um, seal of approval from sure. somebody who knows so much about the history of Napa Valley. And Kent was telling us those Cabernets you can lay down for 30 years. So this is a young wine right now. It, it's young, it's vibrant, it's uh, very lively and fruit forward. Um, but we're excited just to continue tasting it for the next 30 years. And That'd be nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That'd be very nice. We hope that'll happen. Yeah. But Ken, for you, when it comes to prepping for this kind of thing, I mean, obviously putting in the vines and, and dealing with that process, when were the vines planted again? Two, we uh, Half the vineyard was planted in 18 and half in 19. Okay. So that moved along pretty quickly then. It did. That's not bad. It did. It was, uh, I, I tell you what, I, I, I really enjoyed the experience. I've been a Pinot grower for 40 years and Pinot's been my thing. So to go out there and experience growing Cabernet in the Napa Valley um, was enlightening. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I learned a lot. And I'll be the first to admit that I, I wasn't a cab guy. I wasn't a cab grower. I really didn't know it. I mean, they're grapevines, so they're similar. But there are a lot of major differences that I had to conform to. So um, we talked to a lot of guys over the years going into this deal. Um, I had a big learning curve in front of me. But at the end of the day, I believe that what we did and how we did it and the clones that we planted, I think we we hit it pretty much on the head because the the fruit came off very balanced. Um, it's turning out to making some very, very nice wine. So it could have been a lot worse. So we're, we're pretty <laughs> happy with it. That's good to hear. Yes, it is. <laughs> but for you going down this particular path, and I'm, I'm sure your knees were knocking just a little bit, was there one particular thing, don't you hate when people ask you about that one thing, that was really completely different than what you were expecting when it came to growing Cabernet? Oh, yeah. How, how I was going to make the payments. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something. No, Cabernet. Um, I think the volume, right? Yeah. So much more fruit is produced from a Cabernet plant than a Pinot plant. We average two tons per the acre with Pinot Noir. Right. And on these young cab vines, I don't know, we were expecting one to two tons per acre and goddamn, they've put out like four tons. So having to um, drop fruit at least once in the season, maybe twice, yeah. I mean, that's huge. And that's something that as a Pinot grower, we don't do. No. In Pinot, you, you, you don't drop fruit. But um, in the Cabernet, the first year we dropped all the fruit. And the reason we did that, we're, we're more concerned about the root development and getting a good structure than the little bit of fruit we got. Uh, but the, the second year, we cluster thin two times throughout the year, the green clusters and then the clusters that weren't ripening up. And you know, not only was I paying the guys to go through the field to drop the fruit, but it's $4 a pound on the ground. <laughs> that hurt. That hurt. I'm going, oh my God. But I recognize that if we're going to get in the Cabernet game, that you better do it right. right. And it's easy to overcrop Cabernet. 
it, it's, you generally don't overcrop Pinot because of the way you train it and so on and so forth. But Cabernet, you've got to make sure that your grapes are ripening evenly and consistently or it's going to come back to shoot you in the foot when you're making wine. So there was a big learning curve going into it, but we, we adhered to it and bit the bullet and dropped the fruit and ended up with some good fruit. And then after a while, that seems completely normal, I guess. That's a, yeah. So we learned so much growing Cabernet. I mean, it was a it was a really humbling experience on the differences in growing Cabernet and, and growing Pinot Noir, and uh, very very interesting. And you know, when you farm one varietal for so long, it's kind of you know hum humdrum type deal. But when you bring a new varietal into the mix, and there's a lot of learning curves and things to do. It's, it's quite interesting. And if it's interesting, it's fun. Yeah, I'll bet. From your marketing point of view, being that you've been primarily Pinot, you've done Pet Nats, but uh, this is somewhat of a game changer for you, isn't it? Totally. Absolutely. We've had people in the past ask us to try our Cabernet. Everyone assumes just because we're in Napa yeah. right. that we're producing Cabernet. So... And we've been talking about it. That's one thing we do really great is with our email list, we do farm updates. What are we doing in the vineyard uh, throughout the season? So these folks have been with us following the progress of the Cab Vineyard since 2018. And we're just really excited to finally release this wine to them. They've been hearing about it for five years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been hearing about it for a while. Yeah. yeah. Like Elise said, that over the years, uh, you know, Napa Valley uh, is synonymous with Cabernet. Sure. And everybody says, well, I like to try some cab. Well, we're not a cab house. So I guess we finally got tired of saying that. <laughs> and um, Elise said, you know, we should really do this and this and that and the next thing. So uh, I think it was a really good move. Um, yeah, the original intention was to grow cab but sell the fruit. Mm, okay. And yeah. so... Right. I was against growing cab initially, but once it was in the ground, it was in the ground. But the plan was just to sell the fruit and we yeah. do sell most of the fruit. Um, but I was able to sort of weasel my way into a few tons for the Elkhorn Peak portfolio. And the wine's great and I'm expecting it will be very well received by, you know, our customers. Yeah. So. And I, I think it's a perfect, perfect marketing move because we have a very loyal customer base. And um, of course they appreciate our Pinots and our other varietals through over the years. So I think the Cabernet is gonna roll in pretty nice. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how this goes. What I love about the two of you as a team, which is fun and fascinating is, you know, Ken, obviously you have the years and the experience and Lise, you have a younger crowd that you seem to be hanging out with that share these ideas and my understanding is you pitch them to your dad, you both work it out, and it'll go one way or the other, but it seems to work out pretty good. And I go back to the pet net, which worked out very well. Yeah. In fact, your little bottles were like insanely cool. That was such a brilliant <laughs> Thank idea. You. Yes. I don't know how they're selling, but I hope you're doing well with those. But it, it makes you really an effective team. Well, Ray, let's get one thing straight. She's the boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, uh, my dad's... Um, 
he has the wisdom and the experience, which is great because sometimes my ideas are, you know, far reaching and it's great to have the wisdom to bring it back down. But what's really awesome about working with my dad is he's open to trying new ideas all the time. So, you know, for the pet nat, for example, he wasn't a sparkling wine drinker, had never heard of pet nats, but gave me the freedom to try. And now it's he, pretty damn he nice. won't stop talking about pet nuts. He reaches for a bottle of pet nut, I think at the same rate that he reaches for a bottle of Pinot Noir, which is a huge compliment to me. So it's, it's, it's a nice beverage. <laughs> I, I've actually become a very big fan of it. Yeah, good for you. I have too. Uh, you know, sparkling, we've talked about this before for many years. Men sort of turn their noses up to it because right. champagne and sparkling is a woman's drink. Right. But that has changed. And especially while younger people can be a challenge, younger men do like pet gnats. Yeah. And it gets around. And I remember years ago when, when Sofia Coppola was doing a sparkling in a can, which mm -hmm. I think took a little while for everybody to open their minds up to that. Well, she's still making it. It's still out there. So that's a big deal. So... Kudos to you, Thank you. for yeah. talking this old guy in. Yeah, really. yeah. You got the old guy part right. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think you'd ever do a, a late harvest of any sort? Oh, you do. That's right. Sorry, you gave me some. Yeah, so it's not a late harvest wine, but it is what we're calling a Pinot Noir dessert wine, and yeah. it's made in the sherry style. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's a fun wine. Um, yeah. We take a barrel of finished Pinot Noir and fortify it. So it's a really small project. Um, I think we bottle 50 cases at a time and that lasts us a couple years and mm -hmm. then we'll bottle another 50 cases when, you know, demand is there for it. Sure. But it's just kind of a fun side project, um, for people that like sweet wines. Um, and I don't know of another fortified Pinot Noir out there, uh, in my research, I haven't found any, so I'm sure they're out there, but they're definitely not. The predominant varietal that you see these you know port style right. sherry style fortified red wines i want to go back to the pet nats for a moment and i mentioned these little bottles i thought the idea was brilliant because how do i put this politely you could put that bottle anywhere you want on your person when you go to <laughs> events not that i'm recommending people do that but it is handy yes they're adorable but, you know, it's kind of like if you really are concerned about letting a bottle sit there, you know, you can knock one of these off and be quite happy. Exactly. Uh, one 375 is two glasses of wine. So it's perfect when you just want a glass or two of wine. But we're actually discontinuing those, <laughs> I hate to say it. I loved them. Um, and they were born actually from customers saying, can you make mini bottles? This wasn't necessarily you know an idea I had it was an idea that customers had for us and we made it happen um, but it turns out as much as people say they want a glass or two they actually want four glasses yeah. or more yeah. so people are opting for the bigger bottles over the little bottles which is fine again it's it's we're such a small business that we can try new things and if they don't work we sunset them and it's you know it's it's no big loss we only made 20 cases last oh, year okay. so we'll sell through them and and maybe we'll do them again in the future but we're gonna take a break for a year so people yeah. like the big bottles yeah the same thing happened in 1999 when everybody says well you should make 375s half bottles mm. 
Everybody kept telling me, okay, we'll make them. So we made them, and of course they didn't sell. No. I mean, they sold, but they really didn't move. No. So I kind of tend to uh, agree with Elise on that. I mean, if I'm going to open a bottle of wine, I don't want a half bottle. Right. I want to open the whole <laughs> bottle. Well, so I, <laughs> when this whole thing came about years ago in many states where you go to a restaurant and they'll cork the bottle back up for you and you take it in your car and not get in trouble for the open container. And my feeling was if you order a bottle and you don't drink it, <laughs> you, know, right. you shouldn't right. order it. <laughs> right. It's just wrong. Right, right, right. Well, one more thing I wanted to cover today, and, and uh, it's a big deal, which is the Save the Family Farms, the effort that you've been involved in for, again, four or 500,000 years. <laughs> just uh, about. <laughs> a challenging effort. But let me kind of cut to the cause here is, are you able to do tastings here under the guidelines of what they set up here in the Valley? Us personally, not yet, but we are working on it. The micro winery ordinance did pass in May of 2022. And just this past month or two, the first micro winery permit was issued in Napa County. So the process, uh, while streamlined, still does take a couple years to get through. Um, we are working on it. We have several other members in the Save the Family Farms organization that are also working on it. We'll all get there, but you know, nothing moves quickly in government. So we're all just taking our time. I mean, it's a really big um, undertaking. Sure. So we're taking our time. We're we're crossing our T's, dotting our I's, and we will get there. Yeah, you know, Ray. Conceptually, this Save the Family Farms, the microwave ordinance, in concept was a was really well uh, thought out and designed to help the small grower, the small producer, you know, uh, have some equal playing field in the in the market. But like everything else that's involved with government, when the tire hit the road, it was a different story. Yeah. And, you know, we're trying to conform to that right now. It really gets down to economics. Is this really justifiable on a cost basis, which the original tent was to reduce some of those costs so it would be justifiable. But now when reality, you know, comes about, the question comes up, is it worth this kind of money to achieve these results? Now, we've got a lot of irons in the fire right now. I'm pretty sure we'll get there. We're trying to work through the final details. But um, I just want to say, Elise, she did a fantastic job. Uh, Vice President of the organization, the spokesman for Save the Family Farms, and being able to change the ordinances and the laws in the Napa Valley, which is a pretty good old boy network, was pretty serious undertaking. And I'm very proud of her for doing that. Now we just Thank want you. to take advantage of it. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> yeah. We have it on tape. It's evidence. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, the group that you're involved in, Save the Family Farms, approximately how many wineries are involved in that? We have about 13 wineries that are planning on going through the permitting process. I think five, four or five are currently in the permitting process. Um, we're growing. Um, yeah, so it's a small but mighty organization. And out of the ordinance itself, we've launched a few other really exciting things. Yep. We launched the uh, verified micro producer designation in Napa, which is um, an insignia. You have to meet all of these criteria, um, you know, less than 5,000 gallons annual production, um, family owned and operated. Um, 
there's there's a whole list of criteria on the Save the Family Farms website. But if you meet that criteria and you're planning on getting a, a micro winery, you can apply for this designation, which is great. So we're a couple of us. I think there's probably 13 of us right now have the designation. Uh, we are promoting it on our websites, on our collateral. We're trying to sort of spread the word about this micro producer designation so that while we're all in the process of getting our winery permits, customers and the public can look out for these designations and know that when they're buying wine from these producers, they're buying wine from folks who are trying to get their micro wineries up and running and who meet a, a very rigorous set of criteria to define them as micro producers in Napa Valley. That's great. Most importantly for our listeners who'd like to learn about Elkhorn Peak as well as the both of you online, what's your website? Elkhornpeak.com. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Elkhorn Peak. Yeah, that's how to get in touch. Well, that you, she's answering the question. I don't know. the. I, we have a website and the other stuff I'll leave it up to Elise to tell you about. You're just here to be pretty. That's, that's, that's exactly right, right? <laughs> Love it. And sign the checks. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> well, thank you both for welcoming me back up here to the property. Uh, it's always fun to see you both. Thank you. Thank you, Ray, and you're always welcome. You know that. Learn more by visiting elkhornpeak.com. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast at lifebetweenthevines.com or sign up to our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Life Between the Vines comes to you from Fifth Floor Recording Company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Produced and edited by Ray Fister. Our host is Kay Paskoff. Our web geek is Dan Gisha. Original music by Ray Fister. Copyright 2024.